The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In today's economic climate, it's very hard to know what to do with your money. Every financial move is a choice. Sometimes they are good choices, and you will reap the rewards of success. Sometimes there are bad choices, which can leave you in financial ruin if you make too many. Welcome to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. Our program will help you to make the good choices and avoid the bad. Now, here is Gordon Bennett. Hello, everybody. This is Gordon Bennett, and we are standing by for another program on money, jobs, health, and other things in life. And with me today is my guest, Marvin Doniger. And I know he's a transplant from Boston, now living in Southern California. And I must say, because I'm in Philadelphia, I kind of wished I were where he was today. But anyway, on with the show. Uh, I noticed from uh, reading a little bit about you that, one, you're an engineer, but two, you have written three books on finance. And uh, I like to talk about those and what led you to write those and some of the things you can share with us from those books. Start well, with the first one. Okay, well, let me start with why I wrote the book. You know, that's just a, a really good question, given my background. And really what happened was uh, I was uh, hospitalized for three months and had a lot of time to think and had a chance to reflect on where I was financially and professionally and everything else and decided that I wanted to, that I had something to instill in others and most importantly my daughters and I realized that unless I it was in the form of a book they just wouldn't listen to me as most other things so that was what you know really drove me to write my first book and my first book uh, common sense uh, roadmap to uncommon wealth really deals with two two, two Concepts. One is how, how do you manage your career? And too, too many of us, myself included, sort of get get in a place and not a lot by accident rather than by designs. And I thought I would you know instill that. And the sooner one starts off and figuring out what they want to do with their lives, the higher the probability. You know, you don't want to wait until you've graduated from college to realize you want to be a a doctor and, and, and have taken the wrong courses. So in this book, I lay out basically by stages of one's life as one grows from a, an infant to a mature adult, what one happens in his career. And like when one starts out, one is learning. And as one gets older and more experienced, one is a giver. And that transition, you know, takes place at various times depending on a person's capabilities. And the other portion of that book, and which I think is really the important thing is there it is never too soon to start planning for your retirement and by planning i mean saving for it and there are really you know two things one must do one must in fact 
set aside funds for retirement, but also set aside a rainy day fund. And certainly, if one reflects in the last few years, you know, the job market has been such that, you know, many people who were before, you know, totally unconcerned about loss of job, unfortunately have lost their jobs, and many of them were out of job for a long period of time. And you know, it, was, it would have been nice if, in effect, they had a rainy day fund, and some of them did, and unfortunately most of them didn't. And the other part, too, is one must always make sure that they're marketable in the, in the, in the economy. And as the needs of the economy change, one must make sure that their skills are commensurate with that. And reflecting on my you know, engineering background, Certainly, you know, when I learned about engineering, I was a mechanical engineer, and there was a lot of control devices that were done mechanically, and now they're done electronically. And engineers who didn't make that leap, if you will, to the new technologies became obsolete. In terms of starting for retirement, you know, the sooner, again, you start off, the better. And there are really three strategies which I lay out in my book. One is the, the optimal strategy, where one starts off saving in their early 20s, and takes advantage of all the, the retirement options, benefits given by their employers, i.e. matching funds and basically, you know, tax right off on your savings. And if one takes that approach, there's a high probability that that person would, in effect, be able to retire very comfortably and, most importantly, not outlive their money. However, if you start off in your 30s and start doing that, the, pr- the probability of succeeding is much lower, and yet you might make it but you might not. And unfortunately, if you're in the case where, you know, I, I get asked this question all the time, as I'm sure you do, Gordon, hey, I'm in my late 50s, now I'm ready to uh, save for retirement, what should I do? And I don't know about you, Gordon, but my answer is, you know, pray to stay healthy and pray you can keep working because you ain't going to make it. Well, that you know, you've triggered a whole lot of thoughts. I'm getting ready for a class next week and talking about investments. And one of the things I teach people is to sit down and wherever you are in life, look at what you need to accumulate in the way of money. Now, any financial equation has the amount of money, the payment, the rate, and the time. And if you have three of the four, you can always solve for the other one. And I don't realize or I don't sense that very many people actually sit down and recognize how much money it will take just to, even if they don't have very many mandatory expenses, it takes a lot of money just to live today. And the later you start, the less compounding interest will work for you and the more risk you have to take, which means you might not make it at all. And I agree with you 100%, although I would add, and I think I've told you, that if you're in your 50s, the only way you can be guaranteed of a uh, not outliving your uh, care is you can get your free clothing and your free room and board and uh, your free entertainment and your free medical expense. But the problem is you have to rob a federal bank and get incarcerated to do that. And most people don't want to do that. That's right. Or be a congressman and, and live off the government largesse. Well, uh, I, I could spend an hour or two or three <laughs> talking about that as well. I think our congressmen should have to live by the same rules that we live by. But you're absolutely right. If you start in your 20s, I, another exercise they do is a compound interest table with a relatively small amount of money. If you put a $1,000 aside or, say, $100 a month, 
when you start in your mid-20s, by the time you're in your mid-50s, that's added up to a whole lot of money, even at pretty low interest rates. Well, that's, that's absolutely right, Gordon. And, you know, the, the point, I think, you know, in the current environment, interest rates are so low. You know, there's some good news and bad news about that. The good news is if, you tr- if you're buying a home, you, you're able to get really record low uh, interest rates. But, you know, people shouldn't fall into the trap of getting a, an adjustable mortgage to get even lower because uh, I can guarantee in five or seven years interest rates are going to be higher simply because of the notion of returning to the, the, to the mean. But you know, the other side of low interest rates means it's going to take longer to get your, to achieve your uh, financial objectives. So you know, one must look at that too and say, hey, you know, with interest rates low and you know, my returns are going to be lower than you know, money market funds at one time. And I'm sure you remember this. We're paying, you know, 8 9%. Now they're Irene. paying, you know, like 0.01%, which is, you know, zero. And if you look at, at inflation of 2% a year, you know, you're losing money every year. Well, there, there's more to it than that. The, the thing about low interest rates is to get a low interest rate, if you start late, you have to get a higher rate to get the money you need. And to get a higher rate, you have to take more risk. And most people are risk aversive. They hate to lose money. And wait until your 50s before you think about that. Uh, all things are ganged up against you. So I guess the message there is start early. All these young kids having trouble finding jobs or things, live within your means so you can set away as much as you can uh, because – that really is a message here. You've got to start early. No, you're absolutely right. And you, you don't know when the bluebird of happiness is, is going to basically dump all over you. And you need to be prepared for that. And, you know, the notion that one could work in, in, during retirement or work till whatever may not happen because you just never know when, you know, tragedy will strike. Yeah, I, I know a lot of friends who've, who've experienced that. I know in one of my classes the other day, this young girl... Uh, was going to get married and her boyfriend wanted to buy a house because interest rates are low. And I said, well, I can't tell you whether to buy a house or not to buy a house, but you better ask yourself some questions. Where are you going to get the down payment? And she said, well, I'm going to borrow it from my 401k. Oh, uh, do you have an emergency fund? Well, no, but we'll use our credit card for that. And on and on. She had none of the symptoms of a financially able person. And then I asked her, did she realize how much a house cost above and beyond just paying the mortgage payments? There's hot water heaters that go out. There are roofs that need to be refixed. There's plumbing and all that sort of thing. And it was really a pretty bad idea for her to get herself saddled at such a young age with more debt and a big house. That's absolutely right. And, you know, talking about young couples starting off, you know, one thing that, you know, I did with my wife when we got started, we first got married, we decided we were going to live off of my salary and her salary we were going to save. And I, I would strongly urge, you know, people starting out in, you know, in life and getting married, better adopt that. You know, t- you know, if two can live as cheaply as one, why not save, you know, half of the, the income? Yeah, I wish I had listened to all of my own advice in <laughs> earlier life. I've, I've made all the mistakes that it's possible to make and and then some. So it's easy to talk about um, what I should have done, but uh, I still like to talk about that because the idea of living on one salary or 
uh, putting a fixed amount aside or something. You know, I look back on how much I made in some of my jobs, and if I was making that little now, I don't think I could live. But if every raise had been set aside so that I'd have that money now, I'd be in pretty good shape. But I kept escalating my lifestyle to meet the new payroll. Yeah. And that's a bad idea. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, uh, you know, w- w- one needs to, you know, ask themselves, you know, what's, what's more important? Immediate gratification of being able to sleep at night, not having to worry about finances. And, you know, we all have different answers to that question. I'm going to be interviewing my cardiologist in a few weeks. I have a pilot's license, so I have to have heart examination regularly. And he's a very good friend of mine. And one of the things he's going to talk about is stress. You know, stress really screws up a lot of people, both health-wise, and yet the main source of stress is uh, money. And if people will sit down early in life and talk about money, uh, they can get rid of a lot of stress. Um, I heard a little music in the background. I think we're coming up on a break, so we'll take a short break, and uh, we'll be right back after the uh, few-minute break. And my guest and I will talk some more about uh, the rules of life. Thanks a lot, Marvin. We'll see you right after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Gordon Bennett with Money Jobs and Other Things in Life. I'm here with my guest, Marvin Doniger, and we're just sort of free-forming and uh, musing about the things that people do right and the people do wrong. And, you know, it's kind of obvious what we should do right. 
I sometimes wonder why we do such things wrong all the time. But uh, you've written one book. By the way, before it gets away from me, how can people get a copy of your books? Well, my books are available in basically you know a multitude of places, but the most obvious ones are Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and eBay. Okay, and that first book is called A Common Sense Roadmap to Uncommon Wealth. To Uncommon Wealth. Let me repeat that: A Common Sense Roadmap to Uncommon Wealth. Get your copy at Amazon. I'll put it up on my website in a few days. You can get it there. And Marvin Doniger, D-O-N-I-G-E-R, is the author. And uh, the thing I really like about you, Marvin, is you switched careers. Uh, you were an engineer, and then because your kids were financially uh, challenged, shall we say, you decided to help a lot of other people. So let's talk about the second book in the series. Okay. That, I think, is called A Common Sense Approach to Successful Investing. Right. And this book here is really dealing with, you know, as the title says, how do you make smart investments or how do you avoid making stupid investments? And, you know, making a stupid investment can be more costly than one can think. And before I get going, you know, I'd like to stress to everybody, you know, Never invest more than you can lose. You know, we often concentrate on how much money we can make, but, you know, we never ask ourselves or seldom ask ourselves, can we afford to lose this? So, you know, you know, investments, not all investments turn out, you know, hopefully you make more from the good ones that compensate for the bad ones. And in this book, I lay out a, a, a what I think is a unique approach to finding investments because, you know, I re- reflect... And in the book, I talk about the various kinds of analysis techniques that are out there for investing and try to look at, you know, the pluses and minuses. And the question, you know, I asked myself when I started writing this book was, you know, if all these tools are out there, why aren't we all rich? And the answer came to me basically because there, there's, we're looking at, at historical data. It's kind of like driving a car through the rearview mirror. You know, you look at, you know, last year's earnings and last year's return on equity and all that stuff. And yet, you know, we think that's going to be indicative of the future. And, you know, if you look at all the caveats from Wall Street, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. So, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, what makes a successful company. And I came to, you know, three things, and I embodied it in a technique which I call stratomental analysis. Spell that for us. Spell that for us. I okay, like it's, that it's word. It's a lot of words. It's S T R A T A M E N T A L. Stratomental. Maybe that's not even either. Stratomental. It sounds um, good to me. Okay. And <laughs> first, it, 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 it tries to answer three questions. Number one is, does the, is the company have the right strategy? Uh, if the company doesn't have the right strategy, you know, it's like going in the wrong direction. You're going in the wrong direction. And, you know, one needs to look at that against some parameters in terms of the geopolitical environment, the economic environment, et cetera. You know, for example, um, trying to uh, go into the home building business a couple of years ago was probably not a very good strategy because of, you know, the market was just basically in the, in the tanks. So the first part of Stratomedical is asking, is the company heading in the right direction? The next one, and, and that's the strategy, which is the strata part of it, the, the mental part comes from the fundamentals. Basically, you know, does the company have the credibility to actually execute its strategy? You know, you can have the greatest strategy, 
but if if you've never done it before and there's a lower probability of you being able to do it. And the last part is the technical part is, you know, is the thing appropriately priced? And what I did, and I I stole this technique from Warren Buffett, is I applied these techniques to real-world companies. And I did it based on looking at the Standard & Poor's industrial classifications where they categorize companies based on their industries. And in this chapter, I call it, you know, these were the best of companies, these were the worst of companies. And I profile, you know, various companies using my analysis techniques. For example, these were the best of companies. You know, I I chose, you know, Coca-Cola and PepsiCo, two very successful companies, have been successful for a number of years, have strong strategic positionings, and, you know, apply the techniques against them. Then I looked at, you know, companies that, you know, these were the best of companies, these were the worst of companies. And for that, I chose, you know, Intel and AMD, both in the same business, but yet they're vastly different. You know, Intel has a very key strategic advantage, and that is basically it can afford to build plants with using the latest technology, building plants that cost billions of dollars. That's B, billions with a B. And AMD is a company that basically sells knockoffs of Intel's computers, but they don't have their own manufacturing capability. So that means they're not able to take care of the, the latest technologies. And in that industry, basically, you know, based on Gordon Moore's, you know, Moore's law, basically the cost of computer, computing goes down every, every couple years, and, and the number of transistors of power goes up. So you know, unlike cars... Computers keep getting cheaper and cheaper, and Intel is really driving that. And you know, and I go through various other companies uh, in, in quite detail. And the notion is by applying real world examples against real world companies, the average person would be able to look at this and say, "Hey, you know, I can do this." And believe me, um, my MBA program didn't teach me how to do this. I, I learned this for my years as an investor. So you know, you don't have to MBA to apply these techniques. All you have to do is, you know. Say to yourself, I am going to take control of my financing, and I am going to understand investments. And, you know, it, you can use it to choose your investments or to evaluate investments that are proposed to you by professionals. Yeah, there's some, a couple of thoughts I have in this thing. I really enjoy listening to you uh, and your approach to things. Uh, one of the questions I always teach people to ask, because every person that's going to give you advice has their own bias. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a bias, but the question you ask is, by the way, how do you get paid? If they get a commission for what they're going to sell you, they're probably biased in favor of what they're going to sell you. You don't find life insurance salesmen selling land in Arizona, for example. They're going to sell you some life insurance. That's for sure. So that's, that's one of the things that I think there. And I like what you said that a person can do it for themselves. I've often been a great advocate of education. Turning your affairs over to someone else is just a cop-out. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm not a money person. Look, you spent a lot of your life learning to make a living. You better learn how to keep track of it. And that's just an excuse for not doing uh, the simple homework that's right in front of us. Well, and you this- know, that, that, that's absolutely right. You know, certainly there's a lot of examples of that, Bernie Madoff being, you know, an example of that. And, you know, I, I'm sure like you, you know, I, I, I get exposed to some really stupid ideas. You know, one of them was a movie 
this guy, these guys wanted me to invest in. And as an incentive, they went to put my daughters in there in bikinis in the background. You know, that, that's just a stupid investment. And I think, you know, people ought to concentrate on not only the return on investment, return of investment. You know, for example, if you put $1,000 into an investment and you're getting paid 10% a year, it, it's going to take you 10 years to break even, and that investment may not be there in 10 years. So I always ask myself, you know, what is the ret- how am I going to get my money back? Is there a liquid market for this investment? If not, you know, that's a red flag for me because I'm concerned about return of investment as well as return on investment. You know, it's, uh, I just thought of another thing. These marketers, and my background is marketing. Marketers are very good at ginning up the herd instinct. Buy this investment. You know, a car is not an investment. It's a depreciating asset. But yep. they get people afraid that they're going to miss out on something. And, uh, I think one of the things that your analysis technique brings to the table is when people start to analyze things in a I would hate to say cold, but a pretty much non-emotional, rational basis, they're going to make a lot less mistakes than if they take advice from a guy they were sitting next to the bar last night while they waited to be seated for dinner. (laughs) You know, that's absolutely right. Certainly, here in California, you know, a few years ago, you know, there was the perception that, you know, houses only appreciate in California. But yet, you know, if one understood, you know, every so many years, the the real estate market in California just goes to pot you know the thing that was different this time it was national it wasn't just in california and you know certainly there's there's a telltale sign you know question i get asked is how do you know when the party's over and my answer is when you see g gordon liddy pushing gold on tv and you see that ad more often than you see car commercials you know the boom is over yeah they, they they're very good at whipping up the frenzy you know when you were talking about the uh, three things that you uh, have in your second book of uh, finding out if a company is in the right strategy. That is really pretty easy to do. I recently was talking to somebody and I said, what does anybody believe or does anybody believe that Kodak, we used to call it a widows and orphans uh, stock, Kodak, one of the most formidable companies in the country, would ever be put out of business by the cell phone. And yet we don't need silver for photographs. And we don't need cameras for photographs. And nobody would have believed that probably, what, 10 or 15 years ago when that change started to take place. Well, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting. I remember reading an article uh, in Harvard Business Review when they were um, interviewing the president of Kodak at that time. And I forget his name. But he was he used to be a, a, an executive at Motorola. And they brought him in, and he was talking about, you know, digital cameras. You know, it's not as if they weren't aware of it, but they were trying to protect their, 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 their money flow from developing pictures. And they, you know, they could have been at the top of the wave, but yet, you know, they just missed it. And, you know, their notion of trying to compete by, uh, gener- you know, selling printers was, you know, not a yeah. bright idea. When you look at, you know, HP and Lenovo and other companies that, you know, control that market, you know, Kodak just has no expertise in that area, and, yeah. and why would anybody buy a Kodak printer? Yeah. And, and uh, look I where would, they are now. Yeah, I, I have another example. About four or five years ago, I went to buy a very good camera, and I could get it on the Internet for one price, and I went in Best Buy and asked them if they would do something about their list price. 
I was willing to pay them a slight bit more for the service. But the manager of the store came up to me and folded his arms and looked at me disdainfully and said, we at Best Buy do not compete with the Internet. Let's see, it seems to me they are near bankruptcy. <laughs> That's right. You know, people go in here to, to Best Buy to, to just test the product, and they go on the Internet and buy it. Yeah, that's a real problem. Yeah, that's a real problem. I heard a little bit of music in the background, so I'm going to break here, and this is Gordon Bennett with my guest, Marvin. And uh, after the break, we're going to talk about his third book. Be right back with you. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. This is Gordon Bennett with my guest, Marvin Doniger. Marvin is a, re, I won't say reformed engineer, a former engineer whose daughters were challenged a little financially. And so he has brought to bear a lot of his expertise, his MBA, with some tips for us. He's got three books out. We talked about the first one, A Common Sense Roadmap to Uncommon Wealth. That's available at Amazon. And the second one is A Common Sense Approach to Successful Investing. And that also is available at Amazon. And I want to recommend both of those to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading them myself. Have you? Did you coin a word for the first book, by the way? Uh, no, that, I didn't. Uh, I, I, it was my second book where I started becoming a wordsmith. 
I like that. Stratometrical. Stratometrical. Uh, mentical. Mentical. Yeah, so Ment- stra- strategy, stratum- fundamental, and technical. Well, strategy, fundamental, and technical. Yeah. That's a really good word. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. People make a lot of mistakes in life, and now we can say they are uh, statumentical challenged. Yes. <laughs> that's right. And you know, the interesting thing about talking with you, I feel like I'm either listening to the uh, preacher and I'm the choir or the other way around. But the amazing thing is none of the financial writers I've interviewed None of the financial writers I know, nobody disagrees that we should do something. You know, there's some disagree- disagreement on techniques and which is a good stock and which is a good bond and what we should do. But I think the basics almost universally approve. Live within your means, get out of debt, uh, use common sense, uh, get good professional advice. Nobody disagrees with that. Yeah, why do you think people think they can do it alone? Well, I, I, mean, I, 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 th- I think, I, I don't know if you remember Alfred E. Newman with you know, oh, what, yeah. me, what Me Worry. Yeah, and, no, that's and I th- right. I think, I think that's a Bad people, comics. you know, the concern, you know, if in effect, if in effect they're able to pay their bills with their paycheck, they're happy, you know, too many of that way. If they can put what, you know, their additional expenses on a credit card, you know, they just put it off for, you know, tomorrow or whatever and not really understand the consequences of using your credit cards as a, as a, a loan capability. And some of them are just intimidated rather than take the time to say, hey, you know, I'm going to learn to do this. Like, you know, like we all learned how to swim and ride a bike. It was kind of frightening. They just don't do it. And rather than do it, they just forget about it because they're just intimidated. And it, it ain't magic. It's, it's pretty basic stuff. It's One needs to save money every time that they, they get some money coming in. And it's amazing, you know, we, before you were talking about compounding interest, but, you know, the real, if you will, you know, top spin on that is if you take stocks that pay dividends and you keep reinvesting those dividends over time, the returns are astronomical. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the things I've done. I just, well, again, this just came to my mind. I wonder if the reason people don't talk about money more is I know I grew up in a household that it was not talked about. I didn't know how much my dad made or how much money we had. But my stepmother was the same way about not telling the doctor everything. I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to tell them. They're embarrassed. There's some sort of a a dynamic at work that's very similar in both cases that if I don't talk about it, it can't be bad. And maybe that's one of the reasons, and I know one of the advices I give people, and I don't give advice, I teach them to ask questions, one of the most important things I've found is setting goals. If people will set their goals, and I recommend they do it in three ways, they have the stuff they want to acquire, the experiences they want to have, and the wealth they want to acquire. And then they break it down to one year, one to five, and lifetime. Those are nine things, and they can talk about goals, and then the money follows suit. They don't have to start arguing about money. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's the first thing is you get, you got to make up your mind. You're going to do something about it. You're going to do it today, and go go forth and set your objectives. And you know, certainly, you know, when one starts out in building a family, you know, some known things. You're going to have some kids, and you make some decisions about whether you know they're going to go to college or not, or you know, and I, I strongly suggest they should. 
and it says, you know, that's going to cost so much. How am I going to pay for that? How am I going to pay for my retirement? How am I going to protect my family in case, you know, we have a problems, you know, which means health insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, all those things. He, they need to think about them and, you know, really ask themselves, you know, what are they trying to accomplish and what their objectives are. And, you know, certainly um, I came up with my objectives backwards. I did a whole bunch of things and you know, part of writing these books. And I, I, I finally set my objectives, you know, what I was trying to accomplish. And fortunately, what I was trying to accomplish was consistent with what I had done. But, you know, my goals, you know, pretty pretty simple, you know, what I was trying to do. And, you know, I'll just say, you know, I, I wanted to be able to maintain my lifestyle in retirement. And I wanted to uh, basically provide a financial backstop to my children. That was it. And, you know, I, it's, and I'm, in, I'm, you know, in that position. And I, I think, you know, it can be just as simple as that. What are you trying to do? I, in fact, I, you know, I, I had a plumber in here, and he was in his late 30s. And he says, you know, he, was, he asked me what I did, and I told him. And he says, you know, my father's in his 60s, retired, and he's, he's got absolutely no money. And here I am in my 30s, I'm going to do something about it. And we started talking. I said, how many kids do you have? Five kids and all that stuff. And he uh. says, yeah, I really want to go do something about it. And six months later, he's still saying this, singing the same song. And he wants to retire when he's 50. You know, it ain't going to happen. And, you know, the sooner he realizes that, he needs to adjust his priorities and figure out where he's trying to go. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, a resident of Southern California a couple of years back. And you may remember some of the fires we had down there. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, Pelic- the Pelican Flats fire up near uh, oh, Thermal or up near that way. And my friend was a fire captain, and one of his firefighters came back from the fire line, and he had interviewed someone who had just lost their home. And he said, I suppose you had insurance on it. And the guy said, no, he didn't have insurance on it. And he said, why not? He said, I've never needed it before. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely right. And so many people put things off. And I, I'm a great believer in protecting your assets. For example, and you know this very well, the most valuable asset you have is the ability to make a living. That's absolutely right. And so people need to think in early life, how am I going to take care of my kids? We have a friend at church who's in her mid-30s. Her husband died. She lost her job, and she's got three kids, and he didn't believe in life insurance. She's absolutely destitute, just like your friend who's wanting to know what he can do for his dad. Don't put it off. Do it right now. <laughs> I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, if if one should learn only one thing this year, that's it. Yeah, do something, even if it's wrong. That sets in motion the things that are right. But yeah, doing and, and, nothing. And, and, and understand your, your your tolerance for risk. You know, my my wife, you know, has zero tolerance for risk, and I, I have you know some tolerance for risk, but you know. I, I won't, you know, I won't go to Las Vegas because I know I'm going to lose money there, and so why would I do that? But you know, I, I take measured risks, if you will, but never ever investing more than I can afford to lose. You know, I ask myself, can I afford to lose this amount of money? If the answer is no, then that's the end of it. If the answer is yes, then I go further. Or you put it in some kind of an investment that is riskless, like a government bond or something. Well, unfortunately, there's a risk there, too, and that's well, the, inflation. Yeah, there is a risk for everything. I've, I've recently talked to people about this whole risk paradigm. 
that everything you do in life has consequences and every decision has some risk in it and not doing anything also has some risk in it. So you're really hung out on the horns of a dilemma. You can't afford to lose anything, but you also can't afford to put it in the mattress. That's so right. you, you need to do something logical to either uh, have a strategy to minimize the risk or to at least talk yourself out of it. Yeah, or, or you know, certainly diversify your risks. You know, not, yeah. not put all your money into it. And you know, don't, don't you know, for the for the average person, picking a stock is a very difficult thing, and it's, it's they're better off getting an index fund, you know, a Vanguard S and P index fund or something like that, because you know, you, you get diversification working for you, and unless you know you're willing to put the time in learning about investing and really studying the markets and everything else you know don't don't invest in individual stocks it's, yeah, it's just I'm not going to work i'm a great believer in the uh, index funds and i'm pretty much a believer having studied a lot of it that it's impossible to beat the averages they go up and they go down but sometimes you're going to be up and sometimes you're going to be down you're no better off than the averages in the long haul well that's that's right in fact uh, in, in my book on on common sense approach to you know investing I actually look at historical returns for the S&P 500 and all that. But, you know, we hear about, you know, on the average, it's, you know, 10 or 12 percent. But when you look at the time variable, and this is your point, if you look at in any given year, the disparity is large. You know, it's, you can make, you know, oodles of money or you could lose oodles of money. But as time goes on, you approach that average. And the right. person needs to understand based on their, Investing time horizon, you know what 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 could happen, and not be, if you will, seduced by averages. Yeah, you uh, uh, you don't have to be a statistician to have some common sense working for you in that regard. That's for sure. Uh, and uh, you also are faced with the markers. I keep coming back to that. Everybody uh, thinks that their goose is a swan. Yep. <laughs> and uh, well. Let's see, we've got one book we haven't talked about. Let's see, that third book is entitled Common Sense Prescription for Financial Health. That sounds like a good book. That's the third one. Have you invented a word for that one? Well, of course I have. Oh, and, good. It, and it's called Questorology. And before I, I explain it, let me tell you what the, basically what caused me to write this book. And, and I, I've, you know, spent more time than I care to think about with doctors. And my daughter is also a doctor, so you know, I know a little about you know, what goes on. But doctors have you know, some measurements to figure out whether you're, you're healthy or not. Certainly, you know, they take blood pressure. They, they can do some blood tests. They can do EKGs and all these things. And they can you know, look at your physiology and figure out you know, whether you're going to be, you know, be alive tomorrow or not. And I, I was saying to myself, you know, why isn't there such a thing for finances? You know, I asked myself, where do I stand financially? And and I said, well, you know, I could look at this, this, and various other things. So I said, you know, I need an analog, if you will, to, to physiology. And I came up with a word called questrology. And, you know, and that, that world is spelled Q-U-A-E-S-T-R-O-L-O-G-Y. Wait, wait, wait. You're, you're going too fast. Q-U-A-E-S-T-R-O-L-O-G-Y. And this word uh, looks very medical to Latin. me. <laughs> and, you know, as a as a... As a Growing up in Boston, I went to this high school, which is the oldest high school in the country called Boston Latin School, and was subjected to, you know, six years of Latin. So I felt, you know, duty-bound to, 
get something from the Latin. And basically, <laughs> Questorology came comes from the Latin word questor, who are basically the bean counters of the Roman legion. Okay, so, so that's, <laughs> that's where that word came from. That's very good. Do you talk about that in your book, by the way? Do you have something in your preface or something that uh, uses a word so Quite people right. will know where it came from? I think it's very fascinating, right? Actually, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's common. Yeah, it's there. You know, I, I I didn't want to take total credit for you know doing it. You know, most of our you know language comes from the Latin anyway, so there's nothing magical about that. And, well, and I think this, you should book, take. You know, I, 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 I can, you know, again, is ask myself, you know, how do you know where you are financially? And, you know, as we said before, some people are happy if, you know, they're able to pay all their bills, you know, with, with their income and all that stuff. But I, I come up with a, a series of measures in terms of, you know, basically applying the concepts that I learned, you know, as a consultant to companies. You know, got companies it. have balance sheets. Got to interrupt you. Got to interrupt you here. Sure. We'll come back and finish this up. We've got to take a break now. This is Gordon Bennett and my guest Marvin Doniger. We'll be right back after this short break. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network what does a visual workplace mean to you how does it contribute to operational excellence and what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place listen to the visual workplace work that makes sense to find out each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. This is Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with Gordon Bennett. To speak with Gordon and this week's guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to goreben32 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Gordon Bennett with you with my guest, Marvin Doniger. And oh, by the way, I should probably mention that I too have written a book called Give Yourself a Raise, How to Have More Money, Less Stress, and Financial Freedom. And it too can be 
ordered from Amazon. It's a very basic book, and it sort of sews up the holes in your pockets. We're talking before the break with a common sense prescription for financial help and how Marvin came to write that book. And what are some of the tips that you have for us from that book? Well, I, I think you know one of the things is to understand what your cost structure and what is what is it costing you to maintain your, your lifestyle. And looking at that, you know, I, I say there are three kinds of financial. Uh, obligations, and I, don't, I use the word obligations intentionally. One of those fixed obligations, i.e., mortgage, uh, if you will, car payments, and I would strongly uh, suggest that savings would also be a, a fixed expenditure on your part. And then there are variable expenditures, such as food, to some extent, clothing. And the last part is what you call discretionary things. And those are things that you're doing to satisfy your ego. You know, what I put in that category is, you know, spending $7 or $5 at Starbucks for a cup of coffee, you know, every day because you need it. And, you know, that is money that you're using for ego gratification. So I look at that and say, hey, you know, you really want to minimize those fixed obligations because they keep recurring and you need to make sure you cover those expenses the margin of safety. The variables you have some control over and the discretionary you have full control over. So, you know, before, you know, one goes off and decides that you're going to get uh, a $100,000 Mercedes car because they, they want it, maybe they, they should get a, I don't know, a, 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 Toyota, a Toyota Camry, which is certainly less money, provides you know, adequate uh, transportation and gives you the opportunity to save money. So you really want to look at those three categories. And then also, I, I, I look at what I call your balance sheet. You know, it's what are you worth? And that's basically looking at all your assets and all your obligations. And when you subtract those two, you know, you have a thing called net worth. And I look, look at, if you will, and differentiate between fixed assets and, sh- and, and short-term assets or liquid assets. And liquid assets, I would say, you know, basically money, cash, Stocks, things that you can liquidate relatively easily and have a known market. Then I look at fixed assets, such as cars and houses, which are very difficult to unload. You can't unload a house or a car in an hour or two, whereas certainly with these uh, short-term liquid assets, you can. And then the last thing I look at is you know cash flow, and which is really looking at what's coming in and what's going out and what's the delta. And what I do is it's nice to talk about those things. But depending upon where you are in your stage of life, there are different metrics for where you should be, what are the norms. And basically, I've looked at a bunch of historical or hysterical data from the Census Bureau on these things, and I've laid out based on basically your age, where you live, and how much you're making, what are norms for how you should position yourself in these various categories. So you can look at it and say, hey, I'm 28 years old, I'm making whatever, and I'm doing this. These are some guidelines for me. And, again, depending on everybody, there's different, so I categorize those. Then in the back of the book, obviously, I, I have some prescriptions of what you should do, what one should do to basically improve their health. And certainly, like the doctors tell us to exercise regularly, you know, in the book I tell you to save regularly. And I also say to, you know, not use your credit card to finance, if you will, discretionary outcomes. That, that's just simply not a good thing to do. Yeah, what you do, in effect, and I, I'm, 
I'm a hundred percent subscriber because I talk about those same things in my budgeting thing. And it guess doesn't have to be an elaborate budget. A very simple budget will do. And there's nothing wrong with liking good things. Maybe you want a Rolex and you can afford it. We'll buy it. But it only tells time. Uh, you don't want to buy something you can't afford. But the real sin is when you take a discretionary expense and convert it into a mandatory expense. See, you've put handcuffs on yourself and locked yourself into giving up your freedom by having a fixed expense. I know my wife and I are talking about getting a motorhome, and we're thinking about a used one, a small one for the weekend or something like that. But we will pay cash for it, so if we have to get rid of it, uh, it's an asset, it's not very liquid, but we haven't got a fixed payment to make on that uh, thing that's just for fun. You're absolutely right. You know, one question I'm asked and I'm sure you are too. You know, what is, you know, when, when do people get into the most trouble? And it's not when they don't have any money. It's when they have money, and they believe that it's going to continue forever. And that's certainly true for self-employed people. You know, and I was self-employed for a number of years, and certainly in some years I made a, a ton of money. Others, you know, not so much. But I said, hey, you know, what is my bottom line? And it wasn't, you know, how much money I was making, but. You know, what was the minimum amount of money that I thought I, I would ever earn? And I adjusted my lifestyle that way. So then in the event of, you know, problems, I was covered. I, I didn't believe, you know, the, lar- the large numbers I was making because I didn't believe they were sustainable. I said, hey, you know, where's my sustainable rate of income? And adjusted myself. You get into trouble when you, when you think you, you, the good times are going to roll forever. And you don't get in trouble when you're in dire straits because you can't. Nobody's going to give you money then. Yeah, well, you know what, you've just said another thing that I believe in, and you and I think alike on this. And we're not brothers or related in any way. Yeah, that's right. And I don't pay you to say these things, and I'm not being paid to say them either. But the uh, things in life that are sometimes called crises, if you're prepared for them, are mere inconveniences. So the difference between a crisis and the mere inconvenience is having that emergency fund or being sensible about how much you owe and what your mandatory expenses are in relation to your discretionary expenses. It's amazing how this stuff all interacts together, and it leads to what I consider financial freedom. People are content with what they've got, and they use it wisely. You're absolutely right. And and the the other thing I I would add to that is you're taking out insurance that it's appropriate for your circumstances, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we all f- at some point in our life feel, you know, that, you know, we're, we're in, you know, infallible and, you know, we're going to live forever. And, you know, I had the experiences, you know, of, you know, a lot of relatives being in uh, long-term care. And I realized that, hey, uh, I need to have long-term care insurance. And then when you need it, you can't get it. So, you know, that that's something, you know, one could, needs to consider at some point in time in their life, you know, there's a, a high probability they're going to be hospitalized for a long period of time, and they need to have health insurance, they need to have disability insurance, they need to have long-term care insurance. Yeah. Um, our hour has gone by magically fast. I recommend you get Marvin Doniger's books, A Complete Common a common Sense Roadmap to Uncommon Wealth, A Common Sense Approach to Successful Investing, and Common Sense Prescriptions for Financial Health. All of those are going to help you. And by the way, there's nothing wrong about seeking professional help. If you're uncertain about something, you can read so much. 
But you need to talk to somebody else about your circumstances and be very open about it because I think you end up being better off for it. Marvin, thanks a million for being with us today. I've well, really you. enjoyed this. Thank you for this opportunity. I appreciate it. And uh, everybody have a good weekend. Take care. This is Gordon Bennett with Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Issues of Life, saying goodbye until next week. Thank you for listening to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life. Please join your host, Gordon Bennett, again next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, are you going to make a bad choice or a great choice with your money? Come back next week for more. 